Hello and welcome to Unstoppable. I'm your host, Kerwin Ray, and today I talk with Monica Meldrum, who is the co-founder of Healthy Children's Lunchbox snack company, Whole Kids. Now, I've got a big interest in this because I've been feeding my son, Noah. He eats these products as a part of his daily lunchbox routine. What's interesting, when you look at this, Monica developed this company because she was actually frustrated by the lack of nutritious lunchbox snacks for kids. And she actually left her corporate job at the height of her career and risked her entire home to start the business. Now, in this episode, we find out how she landed in a boardroom, pitching to 16 Qantas executives and being up against a major food retailer as a startup and how she won that contract that has led to the successful business she has today. If you've ever put everything on the line for your business, this episode is for you. Check it out. Monica Meldrum. Listen up. Ladies and gentlemen, it's my absolute pleasure to welcome to Unstoppable. We have Monica Meldrum. Thank you for coming in. Thanks so much, Kevin. Now, my first question, how's Molly? <laughs> Do you get that I a lot? I get that a lot oh, and there's absolutely so no bad. relation. Yeah. So bad, so bad, so bad. Now, listen, you have got quite an incredible story. I hadn't actually realized until you got here that I'm actually a client of yours. I know, thank you. Uh, and I bet you probably have that all the time. Yeah, we do. So, so for perhaps uh, people who are living under a rock who don't know what you do because they don't buy healthy treats for their – or healthy foods for their kids – who are you? What do you do? What's the short so version? We are Whole Kids. Whole Kids. Our purpose is to create healthy, happy lives for children. So we manufacture Australia's largest range of certified organic, allergen-free, additive-free snacks for children. Wow. Yeah. I love that. Whole Kids. It sounds better than half kids because, yes. you know, it would almost be a little bit like traumatic, if, you know, if we're looking at buying <laughs> half a child. Um, so you've actually, you, your story is actually quite interesting. So you actually built this out of a, out of a requirement to create healthy snacks for your kids. Is that right? No, it was pre-kids. Pre-kids? Yes, it was. Wow. Okay. Yeah. So before we actually get into it, like, why don't we go back to the very beginning? Like, where did, what's your story? Like, where, did you, where do you hail from? Uh, so I'm one of six kids. Holy I'm smokes. the middle girl. Yeah. So, um, you know, my dad was, he has his own accounting practice. So he was very entrepreneurial. Um, we, yeah, I, I basically went to school, lived with a big family. Uh, I had this moment where I said to my dad, one day when I was 13, he'd educated me. I was his last hope for his accounting practice. <laughs> You're <a> last <laughs> um, hope. I like he that. said to me, sorry, we were talking about careers. What do you think you want to do with your life? And I said, actually, I think I want to become a social worker. And wow. to which he responded, you'll never make any money doing that. You know, uh, so I did the responsible Very thing. entrepreneurial response. Yes, I went to uni, but I did a study sociology with a business degree. But as part of that degree, I had to choose the language. Um, Paul Keating had a really big push into Asia. And I'd heard Indonesian was pretty easy, so I chose that. Holy smokes. Um, but I became really good at it. And, um, Tagalog, right? Is that how I say it? <laughs> Jeez, I got it wrong, didn't I? <laughs> That's so wrong. Oh, God. So you speak Indonesian. What was it you were saying? <laughs> so, so, so how do you say it again? Terimakasi is thank you. Oh, I know. Terimakasi, um, but how do yeah. you, um, the language itself, it's called... Bahasa. Bahasa. Oh, okay, right. Yeah. Bahasa. So, I speak Bahasa. Yeah, right. And I... I've been to Bali. I can say Terimakasi. Yeah. <laughs> That's right. I did it again. <laughs> yeah. So, I ended up getting a couple of scholarships to go over there. Wow. Um, I ended up singing with an Indonesian reggae band. You're kidding. Uh, no. How old are you when this went down? So, I was in my oh, late teens, so yeah, right. early 20s. Yeah, Partying in the Philippines in a reggae band. Yeah, that's yeah, right. right. Uh, <laughs> How 
unorthodox. But I did uh, end up becoming a translator interpreter and I had the opportunity with the Department of Foreign Affairs to travel to Indonesia and take a team of 16 Australians. Um, so I led them over there to a remote village to deliver aid to children living in poverty. And wow. Yeah. And, and, you know, when I got there, we had an agricultural scientist, a lawyer, a doctor. We had a look at the um, rice fields, at the irrigation systems, at the schools, you know, all of those things. But uh, when it came down to it, I lived with a family over there, um, a family with 10 children, two rooms, wow. little concrete slab That's not too flooring. far from your origins. No, no, yeah. it was <laughs> pretty used to it. Um, you know, thatched roofing, yeah. bamboo walls. Um, these kids had nothing. And we were just all so taken by the children. And at the end of the day, we thought, you know, we deliberated what could we do that was in keeping... You're 19 at this point, yeah? Yeah. Yeah, right. What could we do that was in keeping with the culture, the community? And we decided the best thing we could do was create a playground because these kids, they... uh, It was monsoon and so they would play in the drains. So it was, you know, these drains were a metre wide by a metre deep and kids with siblings as young as two on their backs kind of being washed downstream. And two things really struck me about this place it was you know the first was it was the happiest place in the world yeah. these kids there was just so much joy there was so much resilience you know and uh secondly that it was so unhygienic and uh so we spent three months and we worked with the locals we sourced tires from clapped out cars in Medan and we sourced wood from the local plantation and we came together and we built this space and wow. it was the most incredible experience yeah was that a was that a significant experience as a part of your life to see that level of poverty? Totally, yep, yeah. Do you think it changed you in some way? It changed me. It made me question everything. It made me Mm. question, and and more so when I got back to Australia because I just realised we had so much and kids here were just so unhappy, you know. Uh, There was, there's mental illness, you know, obesity skyrocketing, skyrocketing. one in four children has an allergy and it's like, what is going on? So I Mm. think that's really, that planted the seed. Because I did some work in a Thai orphanage, um, the very almost at the very beginning of my entrepreneurial journey, and it was actually it was a, it was almost like a gestalt, because very similar to your experience, there were these thirty kids living beside uh, in a in a home beside the jail in Phuket, because their parents were in jail or their parents had been killed, and so these kids were living there. But I've never met thirty happier children in my yeah. entire life. They had nothing, dirt no. poor, yeah. but they didn't know what they didn't have, and they only knew what they did have, which, which was which was which was each other. That's right. And it was so incredible. And I, I remember at that point, it, I, it affected my view of the world. It affected my view of circumstances, and it it almost like gave me permission on some level to feel a high level of gratitude for what I had. Absolutely, yeah. And so, what happened next? You, you, you built so, the playground. Yeah, did that. Came back to Australia again. Did the sensible thing. I, I actually in Indonesia. I ended up working with Borel and um, I did some market research with them. I started a business over there. Um, and so they were one of my clients and with ReadyMix and then came back to Australia with them. I headed up their export department and they then transferred me into their strategy team up in Sydney, um, put me through an MBA. So I did that. But then the dot-com boom happened and it was like, oh, it's too exciting, manufacturing, you know. <laughs> it's all a bit 
too boring. So I moved over to Cable and Wireless Optus and there, um, yeah, and there I worked with a couple of the directors there and I did a Master of Commercial Law. But, you know, I was always in the corporate world. I just wanted to be doing something different. And I just found that within every role I had, it was such a little kind of specific role. And I just was kind of thinking bigger and wanted to do more. And I kept coming back to these kids. At the same time, my brothers and sisters Mm. were all having kids. I have 19 nephews and nieces between me and my husband. You guys are breeders, um, aren't you? (laughs) Yeah, we are. (laughs) Um, So, And one of them had severe allergies. And I started sensing the frustration that my brothers and sisters were having finding just healthy options. And so I started having a good look at the industry and I could see that these big food companies were just – over-processing foods. I, I had a real interest in health and nutrition at that stage. I became a, um, while I was in corporate, I was all a bit bored. So I did a Les Mills kind of body attack, body pump training course. So I was teaching classes as well. Yeah, but right. Became really interested in health and nutrition. And uh, so, um, you know, I could see that these food companies are misleading parents. They were using all sorts of tactics to hook kids. You know, there, there was this discussion around share of stomach and uh, capturing the oh. market from cradle to grave and it was just so wrong. It's frightening, isn't it? Yeah, so I had a chat to a dietitian at the Royal Children's and just to find out what some of the issues were around kids' health and nutrition and I guess getting back to Indonesia, I always had this thought, what if I could create a business that not only contributed directly to kids' health but through the the proceeds was able to fund health and environmental projects globally Um, and that's something, you know, that... um, you know, is, is the foundation for, I'm not from the food industry, yeah. um, for why we started the business. So um, having spoken with these dietitians, having met with some organic growers who shared their stories of many of their family members who died of um, cancer causes related wow. to increased exposure to pesticides. Yeah, right. Um, you know, I just it really bothered me and I just thought, I can't turn my back here. I need to do something about this. So, so this was becoming conscious in your 20s? Yes. Late 20s? So this was, no, this was probably 2005, but it was this theme that was kind of running right. through, just this restlessness to kind of do more. Yeah, right. Um, and so... At this point, was there any entrepreneurial inkling behind it? Or is it just a, a, a pervasive consciousness of something has to change? Uh- there was. So having spoken with the growers and having done some research, actually, so my husband and I went to the States and we yep. had a look at what was going on in the market. Organic is foods. Is this once you decided you were going to do this? Yeah, once we decided. Do you mind if I look at that period? Like yeah, at, sure. at what point did you decide there's actually the potential here for a business? Yep. Uh, let's actually consider seriously doing something about this. Yeah. So we were both pretty unhappy in our corporate roles. Okay. But we spent probably three years really researching the market and we went to the States and we had a good look at what was going on. Um, having spoken with organic growers, I could see what product was readily available because there were still supply issues within the Australian market mm. uh, and what we could potentially produce and came up with a range. And I think at that point we kind of went, all And right. when was this? What year was this? So this was 2005. Right. So this is still when the organics industry in Australia was still quite immature it's still very immature but But we'd seen what was going on overseas and you know in the states this possibility that organics would possibly you know the Australian market was five years behind the rest of the world so the market would move at some point and with all these health issues going on there had to be change Mm. so uh, so we created a range and then James emailed me one day and said hey there's this organic expo happening the inaugural one in Sydney let's go and I'm like all right so we decided we'd do it 
really well. So we didn't have any product. We had manufacturing relationships set up. Yeah. Um, we had developed, you know, prototypes. But we went, we got a six by three stand and we treated it purely as a marketing exercise to test the market and go, all right, this is our stake in the ground. If the response is good, we go. If the response is, you know, I love it. average, we're just going to... Test the market. Yeah. So we but could you had confidently no product. So how did you test? So we had product samples and we right. had mock-ups. So we had these little mock-ups that were attached to the stand and people would come and try and pick them up and we're like, no, no, don't touch <laughs> the mock-ups. <not> <laughs> it's not real. But what we found was parents that we chatted to were saying there's nothing like this and kids were interacting with our brand because we wanted this to be fun. We've mm. essentially got two markets. A child has to like the product. It's got to taste good. Um, but it also needs for mum to meet all of the, you know, health criteria. So uh, – and then we had stores come to us so smaller stores um like the girls tammy and jody from about life placing orders so we had 60 orders we had no product but we knew wow it was a market so and that's really smart because most people at that point will go well you know they might be paralyzed by the procrastination of well we could launch it well what if what if but you literally went okay well let's invest a bit of money yep let's actually see what the market says the market says we'll take 60 boxes please yep and then what do you do from there Let's do it. So quit our jobs, yeah. um, went into our first manufacturing run and went for it. Now, is this when you took the deposit that you'd saved? Yes, we put everything in. Yeah, so talk to us a little bit about that. Because some people don't back them. So some people back themselves to a point. Yeah. But they don't back themselves all the way and they yeah. don't go all in. I think for me, everyone said we were stupid. I was at the height of my career. I was yeah. on like the biggest wicket in terms of salary, package. I was traveling a lot. I was away from home. But I was like, well, I can always go back. You know, if were I don't fulfilled? give this a go, I wasn't fulfilled. And I just thought, if I don't give this a go, I will always wonder. I will never know. So I need to put everything in and just, if it doesn't work. And so you guys had saved a deposit for a house and rather than spending it on the house, yeah. you put it into your first manufacturing yeah. run. Imperishable goods. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Sitting in a warehouse. Yeah, yeah, wow. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Was there, was there any trepidation? Was there any nerves? Was there any hesitation? It was just like, no, total conviction. It was total conviction. Yeah, it was right. just like, if I don't give this a go, really. What I, about Hubby? Was he just as convinced? Uh, I'm not sure that he was. <laughs> there we go. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah. So that's good. So, yeah. so you had to deal with that in the relationship? Yes, we did. How did you navigate that? Because like, obviously, and this is very, very, um, I see this a lot where you typically have one person will be the entrepreneurial yep. driver and you've got the other one who's almost like the, they're either the, they're either the, the balancer or the anchor. Like yep. they're either trying to balance and, yep. and, and keep the, 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 the equation, you know, even or they're like, whoa, slow down. And But have yeah. you thought about this? What was the relationship with your husband? So, James, he's very strategic. He's yep. very creative. Um, okay. He will step through things in a strategic way, whereas I'm just like, go, implement, you know, yep. let's get it going. So, I think in that way, you know, people often ask, how do you work with your husband? But I think we have really clear roles within the business and our approach just works. And it's still working today? It is. So, and, and I guess this would be a great question for people who do work in, uh, you know, with their partner. They're working with their, their, their significant other. Um, how do you make that work? So we had to. Our yeah. first employee, we had to. I noticed we were having a bit of a disagreement one day and it's like we've got to sort this out, you know. And we, there was this moment where we went out to dinner too and I was like, right, we're not allowed to talk about work, you know. Uh, we're not allowed to talk. At this stage we'd had, we had 
I had my first child in 2009, Chloe. Uh, not allowed to talk about the kids and we kind of sat there and looked at each other and I'm like right this is not good so what we did was we set management meetings so every week we sit down we talk through what needs to happen and we go off and we run our separate areas of the business and I think there's mutual respect there for what we bring to the business Mm, I think that's the key word isn't it mutual respect yeah You've got to have a level of respect because once res- respect leaves, resentment comes in. That's right. And then it's a, it's a race to the bottom, isn't it? Yeah. Okay. So, uh, 2005, you've mm-hmm. taken the deposit. You've gone all in. What Did the market just immediately uplift and was like, oh, happy days all the way through? Or did you uh, have your fair share of challenges? No. We had our first taste of the power of the food industry. So Because they must have seen you and gone, hang on a second. Yeah. These guys could be – these guys might be, this might be a mosquito now, but they could end up being yeah. – a real issue later. So um, we started to get a lot of PR and I was quoted in the Sydney Morning Herald citing the link between sulphur dioxide in conventional dried fruits and asthmatic reactions in children, which is all fact. Yep. No sooner had the uh, newspaper been published, 8am that morning, managing director of one of Australia's largest fruit growers rings and threatens legal action. He was really, really pissed off. Wow. <laughs> He's like, I'm, I'm going to take this to the ACCC, you need to retract this. And, you know, we spoke with a journalist and he was like, like whenever an article like this is published, these food businesses, they come out like sledgehammers. So my first reaction was like, oh my God, what have I done? It was this one of such great fear. But then I realised if this guy could see down the end of the phone line into our little two-bedroom rented house with boxes all around <laughs> us, you know, he probably wouldn't have made the call. Yeah. But at that point I realised whole kids could stand for honesty and transparency and we really could create mm. change and we could shake it up. So that just gave me the drive to go, all right, let's take it on. So you didn't actually pull back, you actually drove no, forward. No, drove forward. So I approached Qantas. Uh, because one of the biggest issues, again, chocolate on children's meal trays. Um, And so um, there was a tender that was happening that I was invited to go to and I was asked to bring up 16 sets of samples and um, I got on the plane and the meeting invite was for two people. So I'm like, right, I'll go in, I'll catch up with them. Um, Sat there thinking about how the whole thing would play out because we were up against one of the biggest FMCG companies in the world, a confectionery brand, which I won't name. Yep. Um, For people who don't know FMCG, MCG, fast-moving consumer goods. That's right. Um, So I had this sudden thought, maybe there will be 16 people in the room. And so kind of got in my hire car, went to Officeworks, photocopied 14 other presentations, got everything together and um, got there just in time to catch my breath where I was ushered into a boardroom. Sure enough, 16 smartly dressed executives, head of special meals, catering, international, domestic, all of them were there. So it was a major, major thing. But I think I was just so excited to be there. And um, they said to me, Monica, you've got 45 minutes, the floor's yours. You need to convince us why we should put whole kids on board. And by the way, you're up against one of the major brands in the world. Yeah, right. Yeah. So Game on. Yeah. So I started talking to them about my experience in Indonesia, my experience with my nephews and nieces, um, you know, uh, how food companies, what they were doing. I kind of shared with them my vision for our business and I thought it was all going well, but then the head of catering turned around and said, uh, you know, this is all great, but um, just understand these other businesses treat this purely as a marketing exercise and provide us product at cost. What are you prepared to do? Um, and that way wow. I was just like, I've got nowhere to go here. I mean, we're a small business. I can't, 
I, I can't amend my pricing at all. So I started to talk to them about not only what it would mean for us, but what it would mean for the thousands of parents and kids each year that we're getting on those flights and we're travelling and we're discovering healthy options. And, you know, the head of special meals was saying there were so many complaints. Kids were climbing the walls mid-flight. Something had to be done. And I talked to them also about their philosophy of championing the spirit of Australia and that by supporting us, they would be doing just that. And then I kind of left. <laughs> Ah, nice. Called my husband and went, there is no way in hell we are going to win this contract. But uh, to our surprise, two weeks later, the head of catering called and said, not only are we putting you on all domestic international flights, business economy first class, um, we're going to set you up with some TV interviews with Deborah Hutton. We'll feature you on in-flight TV. Wow. Uh, you will be interviewed by Peter Switzer for business uh, radio uh, and featured in QMAG editorial. Wow. So it was an absolute game changer for us. Wow, what a blitz. Yeah. Yeah. Do you think that oh, – look, I know in hindsight this is going to sound like a rhetorical question, but how much of an impact do you think that collaboration had? Huge. And I think that's been our approach going forward to all the business we do. Right. So that particular buyer uh, – I think he felt like he was having an impact in supporting us. He, mm. he had a hand in something. And I was named a couple of years ago in one of the 100 Westpac Women of Influence. Um, and I asked him to come along. And he actually sent his daughters along. <laughs> so that kind of shows the calibre of the person that I was dealing with. Yeah, right. Yeah. And so is that what you find is a big part of your, your marketing angle? It's, it's, it's the collaborative, it's purpose orientated, it's collaborative in nature yeah. in terms of creating a different future? It is. It's totally purpose orientated and it's really working in collaboration with our customers, listening to them and, uh, you know, working with them. And that's that's been our approach the whole way. So you sound like you're a bit, a bit competitive. <laughs> yeah, just a little. <laughs> so I'm curious to know, where does this come from? Like did, in your earlier years, did you do any kind of competitive sports or? Yeah, I played tennis, basketball, I, you know, from being from a big family. Yeah. My father was an AFL, VFL footballer. Right. He was really competitive. He would have me on the tennis court and running me around, you know, telling me to hit the ball, yeah, right. <laughs> lift my feet. So, uh, yeah. And so do you think that, um, and this is something you did all throughout childhood? Yes. Sports. And can you actually attribute the, 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 the discipline that was required in order to succeed, not just competitively in business? Because one of the things I discovered with business is it's not just having a competitive nature because anyone can have a competitive nature yeah. but still fail. But it's having the discipline to be able to get up and do the same shot every single yeah. day in, day in, day out, day in, day out. Do you think there's some kind of a link between the discipline that you had as a child to apply yourself to a range of different sports yeah, and absolutely. the discipline? I think it's not only discipline. Um, it is just getting up and getting being really focused and and just going for it um but it's also resilience. I think it's also, you know, we've had a fair amount of knocks. Um, things haven't gone quite the way we've expected, but it's just getting up even on those times where you kind of think, you know, I just can't do this anymore. It's, you know, yeah. And you've had days like that? Yes. And what do you do on days like that? What did, what, first of all, what have been the significant things that have created days like that? Have there been so, any? Yeah, there was a massive one. So my daughter was born uh, and around the time she was born, um, our business was imploding. So we landed the Qantas contract. Yeah. Uh, we were doubling revenue every year. It was putting enormous pressure on our operations, our resources, um, cash flow. Um, and so, you know, there were the stresses of that and having a child. And then we visited one of our growers in Mildura. And while we were away, a storm hit Melbourne and our warehouse roof collapsed, oh. taking with it two thirds of our entire stock. Whoa. So we couldn't supply anyone. Um, and Insurance? 
we had insurance, yeah. yeah. But, you know, it takes a bit to recover from that. Yeah, and indeed. when you have had a child and you're like, this is my child's future, it's oh, kind wow. of sitting in this warehouse. And um, so, and then we, we took our first holiday. It was like, just need to get away. We solved that one. We went on our first holiday in five years and I had a call from my admin person to say, our forklift driver has just driven out onto the road and can open a passing car. <laughs> and, you know, at that point, I was doing the 2 a.m. 2 feed with my newborn and I remember this distinctly, just going, how the hell are we going to survive this? And uh, I woke tears? up... There were tears. Yeah. Yeah. And I woke up the next morning and I'd received an email from a mum. And um, I met this woman. Uh, so six years later, she happened to be at an event I was talking at. But her email said, uh, I discovered you on Qantas. My son can suddenly have something on a normal person's tray. Thank God you guys are here. Mm. Uh, he has severe allergies. He uh, has. I've been sending him to school with baby food in his lunchbox, even some fruits he has salicylate issues with, so he can't eat. Um, he's been really badly bullied. I have gone to other food manufacturers to say, please do something, but the response has been no. And she goes, I really hope this takes off for you. And at that, that was point, the next morning. You woke that up was the next morning. serendipity. The yes. universe got out and said, hey. Yeah. And, and I woke up and I just went, this is my why. I've got to do this. I can't not do this. And so what did you do to get yourself back? So we started to just streamline everything. We outsourced our warehousing, you know, to focus so on what benefits. we were really good at. Yeah, yeah. right. Um, I, so it forced you to focus on what you're really good yeah, at. Yeah, it did. So I talked to my suppliers who, again, relationship, fantastic relationship. We share with them the story of being a family business and where we want to take this to. And uh, so I, I managed to get them to extend their terms from 30 to 60 and in some cases 90 days. Went to our customers and just said, you know, this is a situation. Pulled their terms back, so to seven days. And so we started getting this cash injection. But I had a really clever friend who at the time said, Mon, we just need to get you out of the business. You really need to think about why you're doing this. So um, probably the single most important thing that we did was get out of the business and look at our purpose and our why. And he got us to think really big. He started saying to us, all right, where do you see this going? You know, let go of fear. In the next 10 years, what is it that you think this business can achieve? What can you be the best in the world at um, you know and we did this session and we realized how aligned we were and how passionate it all came back to Indonesia it was all about the kids you mm. know I'm not from the food industry how can we start to affect change and so we set a really big goal which was to have delivered 50 million healthier choices by 2020 I love it yeah and then I went back into the business and I said to my team all right this is our goal um, I have, we need to break this down. If we're going to achieve this, what do we need to do in the next five years? What do we need to do in the next three? What do we need to do in the next year? What do you in your role need to do in the next 90 days to start moving us closer to our purpose? So it sounds to me like planning started to become an yeah, integral part. Was very it something important. that you did beforehand? Uh, it was, but it was a bit ad hoc. It was right. very active. And so now you literally have a planning process. Yeah. yeah. And you plan, how, what's your planning methodology? How often do you? Quarterly. Quarterly. Yep. Involve the entire team. Yep. They all come away. Their KPIs, all of their performance is linked to uh, the plan. And what happened from a productivity perspective when you started to plan? Yep. Now, this is all, all, all of these, these benefits happen as a result of the, the roof caving. They do. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. 
Which is interesting, right? Yeah, it is. So, and that's what I always look back. I go, you can't forget those moments because they're telling you something and they mm. move you in a direction. And either way, it doesn't matter what direction that is, you're evolving and you're learning as a person. So, Have you ever been faced with any, and I know I'm going to go a little bit... Um, uh, what do you call it? A conspiracy theory here, because I don't know. I don't know if you remember. You know Nudie? Do you remember Nudie Juice? Yes. I don't know if you. Do you know the Sympathic. Yeah. So you probably know a little bit about the Nudie story when their their warehouse burnt down. No. Okay. So I'm hoping this is an urban myth, and maybe you can just do a quick Google, Timmy. Um, <clears throat> but apparently, as the story goes. Similar to you guys, they started, you know, they birthed their juice and they started to get a lot of traction. Then all of a sudden, um, there was a right. an arse, there was a fire. It was, it was an, it was an arson, it was burnt down. Yep. But then as a result of it being arson, they wouldn't pay out on the insurance. And it's, from what I understand, it almost sent Nudie completely yeah. to the wall. And there was all this speculation about, you know, who had done it. It was a, a real who done it. So have you ever, ever experienced, because I know the food industry, because uh, I um, used to work for a, an organization where we did leadership leadership and organizational development training. Yeah. Um, and one of our companies was British Tobacco. Right. Yeah. And I remember very clearly when I was talking to them, because this is going back in the late 90s. Uh, and they were talking about how, you know, cigarette, cigarettes are becoming harder and harder to market. And I said, so what is it that you guys are doing in order to, you know, to adapt? And they said, well, basically what we're taking is we're taking all of our addictive scientists. So we've got basically, you know, teams and teams of scientists whose goal is to make cigarettes more addictive. Yeah. And we're now actually transplanting it into the food manufacturing components yeah. and the food market. So when you consider you've got these global, global conglomerates that are engineering food to become addictive so yeah. kids become dependent on it like crack yeah. but it's having biological neurological neurochemical biochemical effects on them which is you know really setting them up to fail yeah, you know, as healthy human beings but we're talking billions if not trillions of yeah. dollars is actually held up in this industry where they're trying to you know, take stomach share and cradle to grave yes. you know, market share from. so I've, I've got to imagine that at some point you've come up against not just a, a, yeah. a vicious phone call, you may have come up against something a little bit more intense than that. So distribution, uh, and we still face it. We get locked out all the time. So we had a company approach us. They have 150 franchises across Australia to provide product in a kid's meal. And it was all to go ahead. And then I had a call from the ops manager saying, we've got this contract. It's in place with one of the biggest beverage companies. You know, I don't know how we can work around this. You know, uh, they put the fridges into the stores, so they under ACCC rules. And I argued they're only allowed to fill those with 80% of their product. But we managed, you know, this buyer again relationship was so committed to putting us in and providing a healthy choice that we negotiated a, a clause. We were able to get around this contract because they couldn't provide um, a similarly allergen-friendly, healthy product. Yeah, right. Um, but all the time, Sydney Aquarium was another one where the F&B, the food and beverage manager, had said, you know, we would love to have your product in here and without a doubt parents want a healthy choice but see those counters over there, they're all owned by one of the biggest snack brands. So mm. unfortunately. But we came up with a solution. We ended up developing counter displays and it gives, just gives us, you know, one of our values at Whole Kids is to be the mouse that roars. And <laughs> I like <laughs> yeah, that. Yeah, and so... Uh, it just makes us want to fight harder yeah. and kind of expose some of this, you know, because it's not right and it makes it me angry. Not right. No. Yeah. So a toy store we went to, uh, they had, again, a uh, soft drink company, has all of the uh, display on the counter, can't give you that at all. 
despite the fact that their target market was kids under the age of 10. It's like these guys have no place in these stores. This is your space. You know, what are you doing? So it is a constant battle. But are I you think seeing a shift? You, yeah, we are. Yeah. And we're doing a lot of lobbying. So we've created this campaign or this movement called Unjunket. And it's all about advocating for a healthier world for kids, unjunking kids' lives, getting them oh, back to it. creativity, to play, to imagination, but also taking on uh, things like junk food marketing to kids. So we approached uh, Little Ass and said to them, <sighs> we just think... Get it, off right. the fucking so, t-shirt. Yeah, yeah. Not yeah. naming names, but Sorry. they have no place yeah. uh, within. They're not promoting healthy, active lifestyles for no. kids. This is just wrong. Um, and so then Little Ass South Australia came back and said, you're right, will you take it on? And we went, absolutely, we will. And one of my happiest days was seeing that logo pulled down from the stadium. Wow. And the whole kids logo put up. Wow. Yeah. Take that, Batman. That's right. Yeah. And so it's, we're and not going away. Yeah, good, <laughs> yeah. good. And yeah. if you need any advocate and any money, Muscle, I'm there. Yeah, like, great. I'm, I'm, you have going. my support. Yeah. But that's the thing. I don't think people really take it seriously until they do have children. Yeah. You know, um, I was very much brought up on the. I did a little athletics on a Saturday morning and then would be taken to McDonald's afterwards. And, you know, the contradiction wasn't conscious at that point in my life. But now I have this little boy that's been brought into the world. Yeah. I now, I, I literally now, and again, I, I don't think everyone has this, the the ability to make these kind of choices, but it's still that psychology. Like my, I, I, I do whatever is required to give him a healthy lunchbox every day. Yeah. You know, I have these little stacked, stacked little three tin and I give him, you know, fresh fruit every day, you know, whole grains every day, um, you know, uh, really good quality. And I'd say 80 to 90% of what he eats is actually organic. Yeah. And part of it is actually in many cases some of your, your foods as well. <laughs> Thank you. But it's not until you see the impacts of colors, sugars, That's right. and different preservatives on a child that you start to go, wow, I'm actually poisoning my children. Yeah. But some parents just don't have that conscious switch flick. No, I know. So it's a bit of an education process. Yeah. So um, is that a big part of your business, educating parents as is. well as the distributors as well? Yeah, it is. That and must just make it hard because you, you just, cause oftentimes, you know, people rely on impulse for yep. the purchase of their product, you know, in, in FMCG. But you're not just replying on impulse. You're, you're applying on a level of consciousness, a level of awareness, health awareness, but also education as well. Yeah. So how much of your time are you spending educating the parents versus educating the cons- the the, um, the distributors uh, as a part of your marketing mix? I think the market's really moving. Like we found originally before Organic went mainstream, we had a very loyal customer base. Right. And so, and they're huge advocates for us, you know, mums talking to mums, mm. um, recommending product. Uh, and so it's that piece, but it's also the distribution piece. So being there where those guys are, so at least there's an alternative. So parents can, if they want to make that conscious choice, they can make it. What about school collaborations? Have you done many of those? Yes, we have. Yeah. 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 So uh, we've started doing more schools and I think allergens is a huge thing within schools as well. Yeah. Because if we can get kids eating healthy food, good quality food, they're going to be performing better, which is going to mean that, you know, their grade point averages are going to be better, which means the schools in many cases will be eligible for more funding. So it's a a win-win-win scenario. Something I am curious though, because you are competitive. How many kids have you got of your own now? Two. You've got two kids, boy and girl? Yes. What are their names? Chloe and Sam. Hey, Chloe. Hey, Sam. How are you listening? (laughs) Oh, actually, maybe you shouldn't listen because came in and says naughty words. How old are they? Uh, so Chloe's eight, eight and Sam's four. Okay, so we'll bleep out the, the swear words for this one so yeah. they can have a listen. But um, oh, look, I'm going to assume that um, um, being a parent and a successful – because you've built this into an enormous empire now. You're a $6 million business now. $6 million, yeah. We're up to $42 million healthier choices. Wow. Yeah. So you've almost hit mission target. Yeah, we will hit it. 
and you'll smash it by the yeah. sounds of it. That's incredible. Yeah. But what I am curious to know, because a huge percentage of our market, especially ones we work with um, closely at our live events, they're parents. Yep. You know, they're entrepreneurs, they're parents, <clears throat> and there's almost like this tangled hierarchy. You know, I'm trying to fulfill my purpose as an entrepreneur, but I'm also trying to be a great and conscious parent as well. Yep. And oftentimes what happens is something gets neglected. Yeah. And in many cases, what I observe depending on the consciousness the majority of the time it's in most cases it's not the business it's often the kids how do you balance out the equation of making sure that the kids are not just getting fed nutritionally in, you know in their mouths but they're also getting fed nutritionally in their minds yeah. and in their environments you know whilst having a great example because I've, I've had a lot of parents say to me oh look you know i'd love to spend more time with my kids but you know i'm working really hard and i see that as a good thing because i'm setting an example for them and i'm like well what a child doesn't needs more than a great example is yeah. a is a safe secure environment to grow up in yeah how do you balance that um, so I guess there's a few non-negotiables and we have, I like you know, that. Non-negotiables. Yeah, my daughter started getting frustrated because I would be on our email on the phone and I was like, this is just so wrong. You know, it really is. We have a no devices policy and they pick us up on it. They hold us to account. Yeah, right. So, no, no devices. Um, so at no times, TV either? Um, well, not during the week. Okay. No. So Good we, on we you. can just be as a family. And um, I think too, you know, you do become incredibly busy, but there's ways that you can weave family into the business and that's definitely one of the things that um, I look at and just think it is so great to have this business to be able to bring my daughter into work to be able to share what's going on so we um, we've established a partnership with Plan International where we're delivering half a million meals to school children in Cambodia I'm taking Chloe and six of her little friends to Cambodia next year to visit the project and to meet the little girls over there because I just think and, you know, when you look at kids, uh, you know, I just think that we have this opportunity as parents to really affect the way they see the world. Mm. And, you know, we can either choose to prepare them for the world as they see it or we can we can create change and for a better world. And we can – I just feel like, too, if we – with our children, there's so much potential. You know, all my kids see, as would Noah, is potential at the moment. Mm. And how do we keep that alive if we can just – break down stereotypes, break down unconscious bias, all this stuff that's going on, materialism, commercialism, um, then that will translate into kids that are change agents, you know, that can really... So I'm, I, I, this trip to Cambodia is going to be amazing. That's powerful. Because this is Chloe's the eight-year-old? Yeah, she's the eight-year-old. And she wow. wants to film and narrate it. So, oh, my God. Yeah. Wow. So I'm really curious to see these little girls, their view of the world now... And when they return. And and I think it's going to turn it on its head because the project that we're going to um, is a self-sustaining project. So we're delivering meals so school children can stay in school. Yeah. Part of the reason they're not in school is because quite often they're forced to do chores, to do the cooking, uh, you know, housework. Their parents can't afford to send them to school. But what Plan have done is not only are they creating, they're delivering the breakfast, but they've created this school garden. And so the kids go to school, mm. they get their education, they have the produce that they can take home to their parents. And um, so there's a lot we can learn from the developing world. You should world. be hitting up Netflix directly, like to see if they'll do a Netflix original as a documentary on this. Like, because yeah. this is something that, you know, I think has, has, has scope and potential. I think it's really powerful. Yeah. 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 Something you said before when I said, how do you balance it? You didn't say it, but you, you did, but you didn't use this word. It's interesting how you integrate your kids into the business. 
because one of the things I've learned, you know, in businesses, there is no fucking person. Sorry, there is no personal life. Sorry, I feel like we're talking whole kids. I should be a little bit more PC. Yeah, to me, in one of the things that I teach entrepreneurs, there is no personal life and there is no business life. It's one and the same. It is. And the way that I find I achieve maximum levels of balance is by combining the two together and integrating my my family into the business. Yeah. Now I'm a single dad, and I have my son when I'm here at least fifty percent of the time, and so and I do the cooking, I do the cleaning, I do the washing, and I can get people to do that stuff for me, but I. And I was saying this to you before, part of me wants to set the example, but I'm now in this kind of tangled hierarchy that I want to set the example, but I also want to spend more quality time with my son. But what I find really helpful is by bringing him into the business, not only do we get to spend more time together, but he absolutely loves it. To the point where he now talks about it's his team. It's not my team. It's his team. Yeah. And it's his business. And we talk about him taking over. He's four and three quarters. Yeah. I'm curious to know, like, are your kids starting to see the potential legacy in your business and starting to go, well, maybe someday I could be a part of this as well? And I, when Chloe was four, I noticed her one day I was in a meeting and she was role playing behind me. She was at the whiteboard (laughs) and she was kind of, you know, directing and leading. And I was just like, wow. Wow. And uh, I, I had this other moment where, um, and the reason Cambodia came about was, um, I was like, oh man, you know, it, it is hard juggling family, juggling business. You want to be with them and you want to be doing the right thing by them and be a really conscious parent. Um, and I had this moment, I was like, oh, what am I doing? And she had a new teacher at school who'd written a letter home. And in the letter, she described her life at home and her children and what she does, what she likes. And she said to all the kids, I want you to write a letter to me describing life at home. And I'm like, I read it as you do sneakily. Sorry, Chloe, you had a read. Because <laughs> you just want to check in and yeah. see where they're at. And she said in that letter, you know, my mum and dad, they run this business. They are creating healthy, happy lives for kids. She stated our purpose. And she said, and at the end of the year, I will be traveling to Cambodia to meet the children and to talk about life in Australia and share that with them. And I was just like, again, I cannot not do this. Filled with joy. Yeah. I love this. I actually sit down with my son. Like my son for the last eight months has been this whole daddy. Like he started eight months ago. He was sitting down, we're having dinner. He goes, daddy, what's a leader? And I was like, whoa, because you know, he's in early fours at this point. And I said, well, a leader is. And I started, and so every, every, like he did this for, no kidding, six weeks in a row. He'd sit down and say, daddy, tell me about leadership. Tell me about a leader. How do I be a leader? And so what I did is I actually got a copy of all of our values. Yep. And I took them home and I started going, well, buddy, a leader, you know, for, uh, demonstrates conscious and, conscious and humble leadership that inspires trust. And I started going through the values to the point now he can sit down, he can recite all 13 of our values. Yeah. And he's four and three quarters. Kids get it. It's incredible, They right? get concepts of, yeah, they do. And I actually, re- so our business, we do a lot of campaigning. So we're an ambassador for getting the kids off Nauru. So we took the kids along to a protest um, a couple of weeks ago and uh, we marched. And wow, there were so many kids there. It was incredible. And so many questions. Like, And, and kids, you know, you view the, the world through their eyes and, and they just simplify things, you know. You can Man. learn so much. And, um, You're so- three. 360, aren't you? Activist, <laughs> mom, entrepreneur. That's yeah, incredible. Yeah, I think, you know, we're a certified B Corporation and I think this gets back to why we created Explain this Explain to people what that means. Yeah, so B Corporation is a movement that started in the States and it was these two guys that realised that uh, business was being measured predominantly for return to shareholder value, you know, value to shareholders. And it was all about profit, despite the fact that they were using sweatshop labour, there was all this stuff happening. And they're like, what if we came up with an accreditation where you could accredit businesses, you could kind of really certify them 
audit all of their processes, you know, um, scale from the lowest paid worker to the highest, um, mix of gender, um, social goods, sustainability, sourcing, all of that. And you certify them as a B corporation, which means um, – so they created this movement which is all about being the force for good. And, and, and it's this viewpoint that business can affect social change. So, um, you know, we can't rely on the government to create the world we want and to create change. Business has to do it, you know, and you can – business and purpose and profit can coexist. And so that's what it's all about. And that really resonated with us. Wow. So we were one of the first food companies in Australia to be certified. So and you guys are legit. You're not just talking the talk. You're actually walking no, we're the doing walk. it. Soup to nuts. Yeah. So – and again, it's getting back to my kids. It's about them. It's yeah. about – you know, I really believe everyone has a role to play in making a difference, making a contribution, no matter how small or big that is. And if we can just do our bit to make the world a better place, you know, and I think people often ask what drives you. And it's at the end of the day knowing that when my kids to come, come to me, as Noah will, and holds you to account, that you will be able to honestly look him in the eye and say, mate, I've done everything – in my power to make the world a better place. Now it's over to you. Yeah. You know, and that's legacy. Don't fuck it up. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> How do you deal with stress? You know, business is one of those things yeah. where you can't escape it. Uh, it's going to be, it's going to produce stress whether you like it or not. Some people go, well, I want to quit my job because I want a lower stress lifestyle. It's like, well, mate, yeah. starting a business ain't it for you. Yep. How do you deal with stress? Uh, so exercise, running. Um, I didn't for a while, like having had off the back of two kids and I felt it, it was just really hard. I've just got to somehow just clear my head, find that space. And so I have a trainer at the moment. I'm like, I'm not going to, I'm struggling to get there in the morning and at night. I'm tired. The only way I'm going to have to do this is it. someone tell me what to do force me to so do it. it's my time during the week where I go and you know for some small businesses it might be a bit of financial pain but it is worth every penny just to go have someone tell you what to do clear your head and I have a great gym he's he's amazing he's just you know in terms of my mindset the way I feel you know any challenges that come up how I can deal with them it's such an important thing to be out there and yeah you're a very conscious woman which is very impressive especially in the way that you execute everything you've done is mindfulness a part of your life at all? Do you do any med meditation? Yeah, I do. Yeah. What kind of meditation do you do and how often do you do it? Um, I don't do it often enough, but I do. And I also just try and be really present uh, yep. whenever I'm dealing. And, and, you know, the way I deal with my team, with staff, you know, even if there's difficult issues, just really respecting and being as present as you can with them. Um, we have, we're in an amazing space at the moment where every Monday afternoon there's a meditation session, there's yoga on a Thursday. So, in the um, business. Yeah, in yeah, the business. Nice. So the team are involved in that. Um, yeah, so it's an important one. Uh, and my kids, I bring them along. We, um, I have a great Chinese doctor who um, also is a meditation guru who um, has taught them from a very young age. And my son, he's four, he will sit in meditation. So, wow. yeah. That's yeah. That's crazy good. I love this. Oh my god, we've been oh my, we've been so we've been many places. Place. We've been everywhere. <laughs> Look, I've got to say, Monica, um, this has been an incredible interview. This is, and I'd like perhaps to bring you back in so that we can continue this conversation. Absolutely, I'd love to. Um, but if there's one thing that you'd like to leave our audience with, that would be you know the best either the best piece of advice you've ever received or the best piece of advice that you could give someone um, when it comes to overcoming adversity and, and and actually pursuing what is it they want, like become because you are unstoppable. Like, <laughs> listen to what you've done. What would be the best piece of advice that you could give someone? Um, I think it's getting back to 
finding your purpose, your vision, your why, like what it is you really want to do. Because I found in that moment where everything was really crazy within the business, when I was able to articulate that and to step up and to lead, it just mobilized our team and it gave them the freedom and the flexibility to just run with it. And so it freed me up. And I think from the outset, you know, finding that is just so important because it also means, you know, there's times where there's competitors, you're looking over your shoulder, there's, um, you're being pulled in all sorts of directions and you're going, oh, I could make so much money here if I did private label for Coles mm. or whatever. Um, but it's, you know, it's about just getting back to that, you know, because then it becomes clear and you just go there, you just go. And you become unstoppable. Yeah. Fantastic. Ladies and gentlemen, Monica Meldrum, thank you so much for coming Thanks in. Thanks so much, Kevin. You are unstoppable. This is incredible. Oh, thank you. Thank you. Ladies and gentlemen, Monica Meldrum. And if you'd like to find out more about um, uh, more about you, like the, the business, where, where can we go to find out more? Uh, so, Whole Kids. Whole Kids. Kids.com.au. Check it out. Check it out. Buy the products. And your products are available in? So, they're available in Coles. Uh, they're available in Harris Farm, Independent Supermarket. Taste Organic. Yeah, Chemist Warehouse. Great stuff. Fantastic. Check them out. Whole kids, not half kids. Get the whole kid. It's a much better bargain. Thank you so much. <laughs> Thanks, Kerwin. There you have it, guys. Thanks for tuning in to Unstoppable with me, your host, Kerwin Ray. And do me a favor. Don't forget to drop me a review on iTunes. We'd love to hear what you think. I love reading what you guys have to say. And your reviews make sure we keep creating killer content just like this. If you want to stay up to date with me and all my movements, please jump onto the website, kerwinray.com. And also check us out on social media, at Kerwin Ray.